Welcome to this Stroke Journey podcast, brought to you by the National Stroke Education Center at the University of Cincinnati, your premier source for comprehensive diagnostic and therapeutic stroke education from the pre-hospital and emergency settings through the ICU and rehabilitation. Please welcome today's host, Dr. Jordan Bonomo. Hello, and welcome to this recording of the National Stroke Education Center. I'm Jordan Bonomo, the host for today. I'm an emergency medicine physician, neurointensivist, and stroke doctor at the University of Cincinnati. And it's my distinct pleasure to have with me today, Dr. William Knight, also an emergency physician, neurointensivist, stroke doctor, surgical intensivist, and trauma specialist here at the University of Cincinnati. Dr. Knight, welcome. Thanks for having me back, Jordan. It's always great to have you here. Today, we're going to talk about something that is near and dear to the hearts of everyone who takes care of acute stroke patients. And that's the combination of the standard of care and the time window for treatment with IV thrombolytics. Over the course of care for patients with acute stroke, IV thrombolytics were initially FDA indicated at three hours only, so three hours from uh, ictus. It seems as though the standard of care may be shifting in the United States, but it's unclear how so. I'm going to start with this caveat. This is not a medical legal podcast. We're not here to provide evidence for court cases. I'm interested in hearing from Dr. Knight, who's been called on in the past as an expert many times to talk about this, to begin this conversation with the question, how do you define standard of care in general, and how might we apply it to this discussion? That's a great question. And, and anytime I think you use the word standard of care, you are dipping your toes into where that came from, which, which largely leads into that arena of some degree of legality. But I think that the standard that both medically and or legally that we should consider is what would a reasonable physician do in a same or similar situation? And when you apply that to stroke, and there's a lot of different areas that we have to consider with stroke from last known well to timing to large vessel occlusions to different imaging techniques to availability of consultants, uh, where you work, all of those do play into that element of the changing of what may be defined as the standard of care. When you talk about the definition of the standard of care and, and what a reasonable person in a similar situation might do, do you think that standard of care can, can shift based on how expert someone is in a, a certain knowledge set? No, I don't, because I think depending on the disease state or the location, many disease states start bleeding into consultant, particularly when you talk about emergency medicine, which is, I think, where we'll focus today. And so let's take the, the elephant on the table with stroke. And when you have a stroke patient, whether that be in a, a rural critical access hospital or a tertiary care center, the basics of how a physician, an emergency physician and or a consultant should approach that patient should be the same. Now, will there be differences in terms of things like transport and transport time or accessibility to a cath lab? Uh, yes, those, those would be areas that would potentially change. But when you talk about the very basics of the approach to a patient who is suffering from an acute ischemic stroke, determining the time of, of last well, determining indications or contraindications to thrombolytics, blood pressure management, access to a consultant, all of those are well within the, the basics, I guess, of what you could call of what a reasonable physician uh, should be able to do and should need to do. So it sounds like some of it would depend upon the institution you're working in, the context, the support that you have. 
around you. From a data standpoint, the initial NINS trial uh, from the early 90s used a cutoff of three hours from last known well. Um, the idea being that there may be potential harm that was greater than potential benefit when you exceeded that three hours, and they didn't want to extend that window uh, in, in an early clinical trial. The indications then for less than three hours, the contraindication being greater than three hours, made its way into the FDA labeling for the, uh, for the drug itself. You fast forward a number of years, and there was some question about whether or not three hours was a biologically rational threshold for timing. And it led to the first trial of extended time window that was done well with lots of patients, and that was the ECAS-3 trial in Europe. So ECAS-3 enrolled patients out to four and a half hours. Interestingly, those data appeared to be positive in the European patients that they studied. There were uh, certainly some controversial interpretations of those data, like they are uh, with all of the TPA data. But the question became at that point, is the standard of care different now that we have a positive trial between three and four and a half hours? Or is that standard only applicable in Europe? Should Europeans get treated three to four and a half hours, but uh, Americans not? And, and it brings us back to that question of whether four and a half hours is really something we should be thinking about a standard of care in the U.S. or not? So that is a, a, a very tricky and, and great question. I think walking it backwards, the easiest way I could think to answer that is, should there be a different standard to Europeans versus Americans or any other country or continent? And the answer is probably not. Um, I think you do need to look at the data and you need to look at the trials and are they reasonable? Now, the way our local governing body, the FDA, um, having it not enrolling American uh, patients or patients in this country, um, choosing to not really apply it to a product label change has left it with a, a difficult interpretation in, in the United States. I do know that the majority of our stroke brethren, whether that be emergency physicians, critical care physicians, neurologists, vascular neurologists that do stroke management, have all largely adopted that four and a half hour window, again, following that ECAS-3 criteria, and there are some very notable different uh, exclusions and the whatnot, have adopted that as whether that be the standard of care or an option or availability to treat patients as something that, that we do on a regular basis. It has become my quote unquote standard of care. But then when we go back to that original question of what would a reasonable physician do um, as a stroke consultant or, or expert, if that is the standard, then that probably applies to that group of people within that stroke expertise that may not, as you had noted, be readily available or germane to every different location. Because it's not just, to me, the access of a vascular neurologist. It's also the patient population and then where the patient goes, where they're managed, how they're managed, the different protocols that all, all should be the same as well. And then the overarching aspect is that in the United States, it's an off-label indication. And that makes it very challenging to hardline recommend it uh, as the standard for all patients that meet those inclusion criteria. I think there's a lot of nuance with this particular question, really largely related down to the fact that the FDA considered these data and did not do a label change. Again, really down to the simple fact of where the trials were conducted in the patient population that was done, meaning just nationality, not different characteristics that Europeans have that Americans don't. No, I, I love that you brought that up. So the FDA did decline to, to have a package label change here. And part of the reason was that and when it was, this trial wasn't really done in America. So we actually had underrepresented American minorities in these trials. There weren't enough people in those trials who represented the American demographics. So they were concerned that while there's unlikely to be a significantly different pathobiology, the optics are certainly challenging. There, there's a question that I have in here, which is the FDA said no 
to adding three to four and a half hours. So it is off-label. Many of the things that we do in medicine are off-label. It makes you wonder, though, if it's off-label, why not do the trial in America between three and four and a half hours? And my understanding uh, from a sort of stroke trial perspective is that uh, it was suggested and then rapidly defeated as an option because most vascular neurologists didn't believe it was an ethical thing to do to enroll patients between three and four and a half hours to a placebo arm when you have compelling data from Europe telling us, yeah, we should probably be there. So it feels like we are doing the American thing where we are stuck. We don't have governmental support. We're off-label, and then we have lawyers. So we're a little bit stuck, right, trying to define the standard of care. Do you have any comments on that? No, I think you summarized that perfectly, but I, I do think that there is a the next step evolution, at least in stroke management, that will hopefully and probably take us past this sticking point is the evolution of stroke as a time-based disease into more of a radiographically defined disease. Now, again, that will also shift the standard of care because if we're going to be using MRIs with mismatches or CT perfusions with mismatches, is that tool going to be readily available at all of our hospitals, rural access, um, tertiary care centers, even, you know, suburban type type uh, centers? When and if that shift starts to happen where we are treating people at, who knows, six hours, eight hours, 24 hours with medical therapies, all based on image guiding and away from this time-based, that may shift some of that sticking point. But until then, I think that your summary directly drilled down why defining this as a three to four and a half hour as the standard of care or not is very challenging. To me, it is the standard of care because it's what I do on an everyday basis. And, and I consider patients out to four and a half hours. Is that the case in every single environment? It really does depend. In theory, if you have access to a consultant and access to a, a vascular stroke consultant, that population through the American Heart Association on down believes that that four and a half hours and, and is incorporated into guidelines and the whatnot, then that is to some degree, as you noted, the standard of care. And without that FDA approval, making it an off-label indication just does muddy the waters a little bit. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think the, the waters are certainly muddied. I'll tell you, on call last night for the stroke team, I would have loved the opportunity to get some perfusion imaging done in patients whose diagnoses weren't clear. I've always laughed about the fact that stroke care is one of the most challenging, potentially highest risk practices in medicine, yet we don't have that definitive test that tells us what it is. We have all these things that tells us what it's not. And uh, if we had that one biomarker, that one imaging study that could really tell us that there was a, a clear stroke and we should move forward with therapy, that'd be great. So maybe we'll see CT perfusion and MRI in all of our hospitals. I, I would love that. It would make call a lot easier for sure. Well, and look at how the practice of stroke has changed in the 10 plus years than we first started doing this. In the, in the past, it was a non-contrast head CT, a time window, and that was it. I mean, there were individual patient perspectives, but now we have no real time window, lots of different imaging, telehealth. The game has changed a ton in 10 plus years. And so be curious to see what the next 10 years looks like. And I, I don't want to age you here publicly, but uh, 10 years would have been great. I think it's more like 16 now. And truth be told, they feel like dog years after calls. Yes, it does. That's why I said 10 plus. <laughs> Dr. Knight, as always, uh, illuminating discussion. Uh, appreciate your expertise. Thanks so much for being with us and I uh, hope to see you on another podcast soon. Thanks, Jordan. This concludes today's recording of the National Stroke Education Center podcast with Dr. William Knight. Thanks for listening today. This Stroke Journey podcast is a collaboration between the National Stroke Education Center, MCRAIG International, and MedEd on the go. 
for more comprehensive, high-quality educational resources for healthcare professionals, please visit strokejourney.com.